I come today because I really believe in who you are. You know, as I got to know Mickey and read more about what you're doing, I said this is the type of church that really needs to happen all across the world. And I want to share with you a couple thoughts specifically around two words. Now, say that with me. Now, and then one. One. That's your visions, one. To go after that one. But I want to encourage you, now is the time. There's not a better time. There's a passage of scripture I want to read to you. It has to deal with one. It was a Samaritan woman. And it's John chapter 4, verses 27 and following. Check it out. It says, just then his disciples came back, John 4, 27. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Why would Jesus, or why would they be shocked about that? It's because culturally men didn't address women, especially of this type of means, a Samaritan woman, culturally. It says, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? Showing some male patriarchy there. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, would you go ahead and eat something? But Jesus replied, I've got a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Do you notice how the conversation is like on two different wavelengths? Like Jesus is kind of like in another place, and these disciples, they kind of have like the normal way of thinking. And Jesus has this transcendent mind. And it says, and Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from what? Doing the will of the Father. This is huge. It's not just abstracting or thinking about the Father. It's you're doing the will of the Father. So if you feel start like you're starving spiritually, start doing something. Start exercising some muscles. Doing the will of the Father. And he said, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you'll get to gather the harvest. That's an important concept because we're not really doing something new, new. It's new in the sense that it's a new type of people, new context culturally, but there's others who've already done a lot of the work, and uh, we're, we're kind of taking what they've done, and we're building upon it. And it's really important because as you pioneer something, you want to always recognize the past. It says those uh, who forget the past are not fit to be pioneers, a rabbinical leader said. And it said, many Samaritans from the village believe in Jesus because the woman has said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Okay, so this is the key piece, because a lot of you know you're supposed to like, love the one, but what does that look like? I mean, how do you really do it? How does it go beyond your small group on a Sunday morning or a prayer group at the workplace or a conference that you go to? What does the one look like in terms of the engagement? 
How does it go beyond religiosity where you feel like it's Christianese and you're trying to manipulate somebody through a bait and switch where you love them so that you bring them to church? How do you take it further so there's no manipulation, it's pure, it's authentic, and people can sense that purity, that you're not trying just to sell them something by you being nice to them? How do you do that? How do you do it where you wake up on Monday morning and you're just excited about going to work that, that, as you are coming to church on a Sunday morning? How do you do that? See, this is the conundrum, I think, because we live in such a binary world where you've been taught by the evangelical church that there's faith and there's work. And, you know, faith is really separate, it's siloed out, and you build a community of believers, and we just stay in this community, and we sing songs to ourselves. And that's really Babel, where we build a vertical, and we think we're great, and we're just hearing our own voices. So we think we're big, and we are, we're tall, but we're not expansive. And if the devil can probably hold us back, he'd probably have us believe an illusion that we're thinking that we, we're, that we think we're doing something great when possibly we're doing nothing at all. So what does it look like to have this expansive mind to deal with the one where your engagement is like flourishing, where your Mondays through Saturday are like Narnia? where you walk through the closet, and it's not easy to get up and go through the musty old closet, but you walk through, and then you find, man, this is an adventure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm actually excited about going to work. I'm excited about, like, hanging out with people at work. And I'm not just about being this recluse by myself going home, just watching Netflix and doing my video games, and then also just going to church and hanging out with people just like me. If you can get this down now, you're way ahead of the game. That's why I said now is the time. Because I don't know of a riper time in my lifetime that I've seen the spiritual hunger, not only of Christians, but of our world. While the millennials may be leaving the church in mass, they're not leaving spirituality. They're searching for it. But we as Christians, we don't know how to engage the one. We aspire to reach the one. We create churches to reach the one. But we don't know how to live with the one. How did Jesus do it? See, this is the, the beauty of it all. If you look at Jesus' lifestyle and you go back to Genesis, because he was embedded in Jewish understanding. And you know in Genesis 1, it's written in the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. And in Genesis, uh, any scholar would tell you that the first book has a priority. Whatever they place first is supposed, supposed to be remembered. So in the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible... He lays down a principle where he says, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the whole earth. What's that principle? Freedom. What if the whole world's yours? What if you didn't live in scarcity mindset when you, and look at just what you don't have and you look at what you've been given? What if you weren't supposed to be siloed up in just your own little homogeneous culture? And that God would teach you how to be kingdom-minded, where you're able to adapt to multiple cultures so that you can roam the whole earth. What if you had that liberty? What would you do? 
What if money wasn't an issue or the negative criticism that you hear in your head from parents or yourself wasn't there? What would you go after with all your heart? You see, for a lot of us, we don't even think about that because we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to compete. And then we get into the comparison game and it locks us down. When God says in Genesis 1, the whole world's yours. So if you had all the resources in the world, what would you go after? Let your mind wander into that for a second. If money wasn't an issue, if there's no limitation, what would you go after? You see, as a young leader, some of you have already been locked down. You're already in default mode, and you're just following the normal path. And the normal path many times won't take you to the place you need to go to to reach the one. Freedom. Jesus lived by freedom. That's the first principle in learning how to navigate relationships with the one and make an impact, like we saw with the Samaritan woman. But then in Genesis 12, there's a secondary concept. And these are principles that will help you figure out, like, how do you get from being unstuck? Because sometimes you feel stuck, especially during the pandemic, COVID. You go, man, what do I do? The, the, the landscape's completely changed. And it's true. Like, who could have ever imagined a world like we're living in now? You know, uh, you know I work in consumer tech. I also work in Hollywood. We work with different corporate advi- I'm an advisor, senior advisor in these companies. And just to look at the speed of like how companies, this in several years, they can be like monumental in shifting culture, not in just a city, but a nation. The speed in which one person through YouTube or through social media can be known and influence millions is it's, it's unheard of. And so, you know, when, when, you, when you see all this landscape of change, you go, man, how do I figure it out? Well, there's principles. Genesis 1, freedom. You live by that. Like, how do I live a free life because if God's really my father, he probably wants me to take risks. He's not trying to control or manipulate me. He wants to relate to me. You know, we comfort ourselves by saying God's in control, but not really. He's relating to us. He's not trying to control you because love is freedom. That's how good God is. Doesn't that feel better than, than he's trying to control? No, he's choosing to relate with you in this world. That's why sometimes we fall and there's, there's bad stuff that happens. He's not trying to control us, relate to us. But the second principle is Genesis 12 where he says, I blessed you so you can bless the nations. Say the word blessing with me. So when do we use that word? When someone sneezes, God bless you. What in the world does that mean? Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. We have no idea. But if you study the context of this, there's four components to blessing, and this teaches you how to deal with the one. You get this down, guys, you become so attractive to the other people around you, all right? Women, the same way. You know, you become attractive to partners, to whoever you're trying to connect with. You get this down, it's going to be positive for you. There's four things, okay, when you think of blessing, and this is our calling, because some, some of you walked in here and said, I don't know what my calling is in life. Right? You go, what, how do I figure that out? I tell people, don't focus on your occupation. That's, that's shallow. Because uniforms change. Some of the best jobs in the world weren't around 10 years ago. You, people are getting paid to play video games. How awesome is that? 
or to dance or to sing. You can pay for that. You can get paid really well. So maybe it's not about the occupation. Do you think Jesus was up in heaven thinking, you know what? I can't wait to get down to the earth. Like, what job would be the best job so that I could impact the world? Oh, carpentry. Carpentry, that's what I'll do. That's the job I got to go after. Do you think he was consumed with this, the occupation? We know he wasn't because he was a winemaker, he was a fisherman, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher. He was a bread maker. He was a physician. Ultimately, he said, Father, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So we don't need to focus on the occupation. You're going to miss it because it can change. The focus is like, what's my core calling? It's in Genesis 12 and Genesis 1. Genesis 1, freedom. Genesis 12 is blessing. So uh, whatever job you have, you start to bless people. So what is it? Four things. It's see, know, affirm and give say that with me see know affirm and give one more time see know affirm and give it's scag see know affirm and give this is powerful um i deal with a lot of relationships i get paid for that like okay so i started a new song we have a lot of people done a ton of counseling around the world but now I get paid as an advisor with these five companies specifically. You know, deep, deep levels of engagement. What do I do with these people? I see, I know, affirm, and I give. That's true blessing in the Bible. Like when a father would bless their children or mother, they saw their child, they knew their story, they affirmed their legacy and who they are, and they gave them all the inheritance. They got access to the inheritance and resources. So that's what blessing is. So when you're with a person, the one, you see them. When's the last time you saw somebody? When's the last time someone saw you? I mean, come on. You know how it is. We're kind of looking at our phones, and we're not really paying attention to people. We got work to do, man. We got jobs to take over. We got to make some money. We got to move it forward. We don't have time to see a person. Marina Abramovic, uh, her uh, biggest exhibit in the world at that moment, like, like this expanded, and they couldn't believe how many people came by the thousands to the exhibit. It was the most popular exhibit at MoMA. Kanye West, Jay-Z, Lady Gaga, she became like the grandmother of performing arts based upon this one exhibit. The Billionaires Club in Silicon Valley invited her to come speak as a sage. What was it that she did in her exhibit? It was called The Artist's Present. And she just sat across the table and looked at another person in the eyes. And she did that for months. People waited in long lines just to sit across the table from her. That captured the attention of this generation. And that's what elevated her to have prominence globally to become one of the legendary artists of the world. Because she sat down and looked into someone's eyes. There's something sacred about that. When someone sees you, they're not looking past you. So when you pause and you take the time to see someone, that's a divine transaction. You're being the presence of God because God sees you. That act itself is a demonstration of love. 
So many times we're looking at blessing people with words, and I say, you know what? It's not so much about your words, because words now come and go. There's so many words. We're inundated with them. What they haven't felt or experienced is someone's full presence when you see who they are. Mm-hmm. So see, know is like you know their story. And what's fun about that is God can show you things about people. And if you start asking him, he'll show you. But you also can ask people what their story is and take the time to listen to it. You know, versus try to think about a response. You just kind of absorb their story and say, God, help me to hear as you're hearing. Help me to see as you're seeing. Watch what happens. It makes, it makes for a really magical time. Otherwise, you're just kind of going through the iteration of just like, doing the normal cordial thing, you know, it's being nice to people, but you're not really paying attention that, hey, God may be speaking to me through this person. Because when you look at this, this is important. It's an, it's an exchange. It's a win-win. It's not just you forcing yourself to listen, to be nice. It's you trying to hear God's voice. What's the main way you hear God's voice? We think it's through the word of God. You know, we read the Bible, and it's true. He speaks to us through the Bible. Some of us hear voices. Some of us have visions and dreams. Very few. I don't know people who consistently hear God's audible voice or consistently get visions and dreams. There are some, and they're next level. They're like, you know, the, the Michael Jordan of prophetic or whatever. You know, we, we admire them, so we, we crave, oh, I wish I had that gift. But do you realize that God is probably speaking to you every day through people. Because people are what? Made in the image of God. They're imago Dei. They're they're portals of his voice. And so if you're looking for revelation or like connection and communication from God, it would would, uh, be to your benefit than to go with eyes wide open and when you're talking to someone, try to pick up what God may be saying to you through them. This is huge. It's not just your responsibility to talk to the one and listen to the one's voice, but to maybe hear God's voice through that person. And then it becomes an exciting engagement. So see, know, affirm. You affirm the beauty that you see. You affirm their brokenness. You don't look past it. You stay with them in the brokenness. You want to hear that part. It's important to understand a person's destiny. And then you give to them access to whatever you have. This is what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. My guess is you'd like to see a lot of people come to know Christ in Silicon Valley. You'd like to, to people to experience the Jesus you know, right? You'd want your family members, your friends, hey, you need to know my Jesus, man. He's changed my life. Well, how do you think they're going to come to know Jesus? Through you preaching at them? You even inviting them to church? How many of your secular friends want to go to church on a Sunday morning when it's nice outside like this? People tasted during the pandemic how good it is to stay at home and maybe watch online. Or not even go to church every Sunday. It's like, you know what, dude, I can listen to podcasts or pick it up during the middle of the week when I'm in the car. So what is it that they're after? People are looking for the presence of Christ, I think, through something unique. They don't even know it's 
the presence of Christ, but they're looking for meaning through relationship. So Jesus, what he did was he engaged the Samaritan woman. He went out of his way. There was a quicker way. He went out of the way, and then he started talking to the woman, and the woman was an outcast woman. She was marginalized, but just because you're marginalized doesn't mean you have a marginal mind. He saw her, and she was going to be catalytic to reaching the whole village people. The whole village started running into Jesus. So I asked, I said, well, how, why did all of the village people come running to Jesus? Because one woman said, you've got to come meet this man who told me everything about me. How would we translate that? Come and meet this man who blessed me. Come and meet this man who knows me and sees me, affirmed who I am just by his presence. He talked to me, and he offered me water that I didn't know I needed. It was water that I'd been searching for all my life. And then those women knew her, that she had like five different husbands, and she had slept around possibly. So what were they thinking in their head? Well, basically, when they were listening to the woman, it was like the woman saying, hey, guys, you know, I've had a lot of men that I've known, and they really know me physically. But this Jesus guy, he's the first one that saw my soul. He's the first one that really listened to me and respected me as a woman. I never met a man like that before. He doesn't look at my body. He saw me. See, that is the gospel. It's not just you saying Jesus died for you and loves you. It's you being that. The engagement of the one isn't just some abstract love. It's going out of your way and talking to the one that's most marginalized, maybe in your neighborhood or maybe in your workplace, the one that no one else is talking to. It's you extending yourself to them. And not just to preach at them. Of course not. They've heard the sermons before. But would you be the presence and just see them, know them, affirm their beauty, give them access to resources? That is love. And then when you see Jesus in John 5, the third principle, you know, we talk about this in our network a lot, is that there's freedom, there's blessing, and then John 5 is, you know, Jesus flowing. Say flow with me. Flow. Flow. He flowed, man. Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. Then lastly, in John 4, he loved. He loved the Samaritan woman. That's what we, we read. He loved by knowing her, blessing her. Any thoughts about this so far? Any feedback on this piece? Because those, those four things really help a lot. When you think about your life, like you go, what, how do I figure it out? Don't focus on the job. Focus on yourself like, and then your relationships, this way and this way. And so the first principle I'm thinking is, what's going to make me feel more free? If I had everything I needed, what would I do? So I, I don't want to put any limitation on God. Okay, because you're still young. You can still go for it. You know, I'm older, and I'm, I'm still living out my dream. In fact, dreams that I had when I was younger, it's now coming true. 
I was like, I have more energy now than when I was 20. I'm doing hits now. You know, I'm doing hits. I haven't done hits. I'm running faster on the treadmill than I've ever run. I, I always kept that six miles per hour. I'm going to eight, 8.3. You know, I'm going 30 minutes, 60 minutes. And I go, dude, I think I'm in pretty good shape. And then I said, there's things happening in my head that I've dreamt about when I was a teenager. Like, for example, I'll give you a quick, I, I dreamt about songs that we're, I'm going to write a song someday, and I'm, I'm not even a musician. And then I started a church called what? New Song. But you know the sad thing about it in 28 years of existence? We hardly wrote any new songs. So I was thinking, God, why in the world? This is like a dream. You called our church New Song. How sad, man. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many great music out there, and we, we suck at it. I said, God, why did you make us call it New Song? We're not going to write any new songs. And then I get invited by this group called Common Hymnal. They go, come on out. And I came out with my buddy Shane, and we went out there. And they go, hey, we want you to come inspire the artists, these songwriters from the city, these black and brown leaders, and come on out with us and just inspire us. And then we want you to write songs with us. I was writing songs last week in Tennessee with people from America, these really great songwriters they, where I just threw out some ideas and a song came from them and then we got to tweak it out. It's good stuff. The guy who's been in music for a long time, I think he found Chris Tomlin, Mount Redmond, all the guys that were like these big worship leaders of the past. He said, these are great songs. And so I go, wow, I'm writing a song and I don't even know how to read music. And then I go to Atlanta this past week, this past weekend. I'm, I'm, this is all fresh because I'm telling you, this is not just some old story. Yeah. I'm invited by this basketball player. He's a client of mine he's, for a long time. He goes, hey, can you come out? We need your advice. This is a pivotal moment for us. So I'm, I'm sitting out there, and he goes, yeah, we've we got to make these decisions. I go, well, why did you call me out? He goes, well, we need some decisions. We'd like to make an album about justice. And we want to get Lecrae, like an Andy Maneo. We want to get these guys partnering with people who are like unknowns. But they really highlight the black and the brown, the Asian voice. Yeah. I go, you kidding me? I go, I was just in Tennessee writing a song, and you're asking me now to be part of this thing? To write some more music? To produce another album? And then to top it off, right? When the internet stuff was starting to grow, I remember when I started a new song, we were a couple years into it. And, um, you know, we'd just find out about URLs and, you know, you have to get, like, a really good one. And I remember, I remember our operations person came to us. And, you know, we're, like, two years old or three years old at church. Hey, Dave, what address do you want, man? We got all the new songs available, newsong.com, newsong.net, newsong.org. Which one do you want? I go, man, I don't want to be greedy. Just give us, like, newsong.net. You know, newsong.net, you know, because we're a network. You know, I had no idea what I was talking about. You know, it just sounded right, but it wasn't right. I don't know how many times I beat myself up, said, man, you should go to newsong.com, man. You didn't get newsong.com. Why did you go to newsong.net? And so I've been, I've been calling around. There was a coffee shop that owned newsong.com in Massachusetts. They wouldn't even return my calls. So I, you know, I had the back order in case it ever came online to, I couldn't get it, man. I was willing to pay a lot of money. But suddenly this week, I get an email uh, from GoDaddy. They said, premium domain, $80,000. 
I go, what? And I go, dude, who owns this? Does GoDaddy own it? So I did a search. I found out buydomains.com owns New Song. And so I, I, I text. I go, hey, are you selling this? I go, how much? They go, 8000 plus. So 80000 to 8000 I go, well, okay, not bad. I go, well, I type back the guy that was the sales representative. I go, hey, I can't pay eight. I'm a nonprofit man. Uh, he goes, well, I talked to my guys. We can give it to you for five. I typed him back and said, hey, again, I'm a nonprofit. You know, I can't afford this. And if you, I go, I can make a decision today. If you're, if you're not going to respond to me today, I have to take it like through a committee to maybe pay that much money. And so he goes, let me talk to my management. I bought newsong.com for $2,000. $2,000, man, from $80,000 to $2,000. So what is all this going, what's going on? I think God's saying, hey, listen, you know, at the right time, you know, I'm going to release things. Just be faithful. And dealing with the one. I want to encourage you, all of you today, because I know it's hard. I know the economy sucks sometimes, and you may be languishing in complexity that I don't know about. And I know there's pain that you may have suffered that's hard and deep. So I know how we can be paralyzed by our own mental health, you know, our own addictions, our own brokenness. No one really knows sometimes the trouble we've been in. But I can tell you something. You can emerge out of the COVID pandemic with real clarity about how you go after the one. First, the one up there or around us here, Jesus, but also the one who's represented by him. Because he says if you minister to the one, who are you ministering to? So you really want to meet Jesus? You go after that one. How do you go after them? Not with just preaching at them. You're the presence of Christ where you bless them. You see them, you know them, you affirm them, and you give to them. When you start living this way, your eyes become wide open. And no matter what job you have, you make it magical. It becomes, you see it. Because you start carrying, you feel it. You, you, you like carry the very presence of Christ into the atmosphere. And you shift it. I feel that. When I walk into the room, I'm feeling, dude, do you know who's in me? Do you know who's in me? The Spirit of God. What's running through your veins? Perfection. Oh, we're not perfect. We live in human imperfection. But you have perfection running through your veins. The divine power of God. Because when he says you're made in his image, it does not mean physical representation. You cannot contain God in a physical form alone. So it doesn't mean physically you look like God. So when he says you're made in his image, what is he talking about? His character. Essentially more than his character, his power. You got his power running through your veins. Do you realize the force and the magnitude of energy that's in you? You can change things. You can change a company culture. You can change your family, even though it feels like it's spiraling out of control. You can shift the depression that's around you, and you can bring light to that darkness. When I started to get a hold of this, it changed everything because I was getting so down about not having newsong.com. I was getting down about you know, not having fun anymore with church and whatever. 
But suddenly when I saw this, I said, wow, every day can be like an exciting adventure. So I was getting called by this one guy, I closed with this, I was getting called to go to New York, and uh, uh, it was out of the blue, I had been in Bangkok figuring out about the one, because our church had grown to thousands, and we were doing multi-sites all over the place, and something wasn't right about it. I felt like we were just kind of churning out people. We had all the right stuff, great worship, that wasn't new songs, and then we had, you know, we had, we had great dance, we had great, you know, energy, but... Something wasn't happening. And so when I went to Bangkok, the Lord showed me that one's the most important thing, that one person can change a city, one could change a nation, one could change the world. So he said, how would you tailor your systems to one person so that you customize it, their development? To, what would it look like? And so anyways, I started wrestling with this. And so this guy from New York invited me, a finance guy, and uh, he was one of the wealthiest guys in Asia. He says... In, in the world, actually. He said, would you come? Because I heard you do some consulting. Would you do a one-on-one with me? I said, all right. He flies me first class. I did this for like four years, every month. And I'm going, and I'm meeting with him. I'm doing what, what I'm talking about. I see a person. I know them. I affirm them. And I go, wow, this is really interesting. This works. Because when you ask God to show you what he sees, watch what happens. I mean, it's game changer. He'll give you insights. And that insight will shift that person you're talking to so that they will change. And then all their relationships will start coming. And I started to see this happen. So I started meeting with him, and I said, this works. And I started putting into practice more. And then I said, wow, this does work. And then I found out about prophecy or, and words of knowledge. I go, wow, that's like a unique spiritual gift. I thought they were all dead. I was trained that way when I was in seminary, that these were dead gifts. And I was thinking, hmm, this seems real, though, because he's starting to show things. And so I said, if this is really real, you know, I want all of it, God. You know, give it to me all, because I I was scared of it. It was was loosey-goosey to me sometimes, and I didn't like how people use people. I, I felt... I don't know, they look, it looked like a show sometimes when they were doing things like this, prophetic and every, everything else. But then I said, if this is real, I remember telling God, I want all of it. I mean, in my lifetime, before I die, can I experience that type of power? But I don't want it goofy because I'm an introvert. You know, I, I said, I can't do like the way these other people are doing it, you know, and they're yelling and they're acting all different. I said, I, that's not natural to me. And he says, you don't have to. I remember him explicitly telling me, you don't have to do it like those other people. You know, my Holy Spirit is like the introvert of the three of us. And I go, that's true, man. The Holy Spirit's like that comforter, the paraclete. He comes alongside of. And that's why I said, yeah, give it to me, God. And then so I started practicing the muscle because I think it's not just the prophets have it, that every one of us has the ability to see. Because prophecy to me is like seeing what God sees and then sharing what he would share with the person. And a lot of times it's just like your presence, you being there, and encouragement. That, that's it. This be there, you're being like the Holy Spirit, because paraclete means come alongside of. doesn't say speak to you all the time. You just come alongside of. You're present. You're really there. And then you share as you get opportunity when God shows you something, right? So I started practicing this. 
So I was going to New York, and I got into uh, the limo. He had this limo come pick me up, and then every, you know, in Irvine, they take me to LAX, and it's an hour flight, because the LAX flight, the flight was a direct to JFK. And so when I get in the car, I put on my headset, my, you know, and I, I'm just ready to you know, focus, because I don't like talking to people. Like when you're on planes or in, in cars, I don't like talking to the drivers or people next to me. I'm able to put up walls normally, you know, so people feel that force field that I'm not really into wanting to talk. And so I, I get in the car, I put my headset on, and I'm definitely giving the vibe, I don't want to talk. But then I hear something. I think it was God. He said, hey, talk to him. Come on, Dave, talk to him. I go, dang it, man. I just, like, I want to just be by myself. You know, it's my, come on, God, this is introvert time. It's me, myself, and I. You know, and now, come on, Dave, talk to him. So I said, okay. I said, hey, what's your name, bro? He says, my name is Muhammad. I go, dang it. I said, no, Muhammad. I go, oh, what am I going to say? Because, you know, at this time, I, I was biased, prejudiced, the whole thing. I was, you know, I was screwed up in my stereotyping of people who were uh, Islamic uh, or Muslims. And so I said, uh, okay, God, what do you want me to say to him? Because I'm an introvert. It, it takes a lot of energy to figure out, like, small talk. I don't like small talk. It's really hard for me. So I said, what do I say to him? So I had this vision of his brain, that he had a big brain, like, that he was really smart. So I said, hey, Muhammad, does this make sense to you? You must, like, have gone to, like, like grad school and got, like, a master's in business or something. And he looked in the rearview mirror as he's driving. And he goes, how do you know? I go, yeah, people thought you were probably not much of an educated man because you're driving a limo, but yeah, I, you're very, I knew you were very educated. Then after I said that, I go, man, God, what else? I don't know what else to say. Is there anything else? So I'm just sitting and pausing. Then I got a picture of a large woman, and I said, <laughs> I didn't know how to talk about it. I said, Muhammad, is there like a larger woman in your life? He goes, yeah. He goes, how do you know? <laughs> And he goes, and she's giving me lots of trouble. <laughs> and then he says, how do you know these things, man? I said, yeah, man. I said, listen, I'm not religious, but, you know, I'm spiritual. And, uh, you know, um, <laughs> and I said, to be honest, I, I think it's Jesus. I think he wants you to know he really loves you. He knows you, man. And then he went silent mode. Literally, we had like 45 more minutes to drive to LAX. And he just went silent which I was really happy about, you know. I, I, I could be by myself. You know, I did my job. I shared a little bit. I did. I saw, I said, I. So we're driving, so I'm chilling. And, but then right before we get to the terminals, it's like we're th- five minutes away. He says, he looked at the rearview mirror, and he said, Sir, I think I'm about to cry. Wow. And I said, hey, Muhammad, I think you're supposed to say yes to Jesus, man. I know it sounds really weird. Uh, I know Muslims don't believe you can have a personal like, experience with God like this. And I know Jesus is a prophet, and uh, he's not the son of God. But I think you can experience in him uniquely. So I don't want to argue about that. But if you call out to Jesus, see if, you re- if something happens. Yeah. I go, would you be willing to pray a prayer? He goes, yes, sir. And I said, okay, let's pray this prayer. But please keep your eyes open. <laughs> And then I, and I said, I, and I said something like this. I said, dear God, you know, touch every cell of my body with your love. I want to experience your presence in my life. 
you know, wash away all the toxic bad things I've done and make me new. And I said, just say in Jesus' name, amen. And he copied exactly. Then all of a sudden he goes, wow, I feel something different in my body, all over my body, something changed in my body. We got to the terminal, you know, as we were, 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 about, to, were about there, and I felt God tell me as he parked the car next to the terminal, and he started to wake, make his way around to open my door, I felt God say, hey, give him everything in your wallet. I said, no, God. <laughs> I said, you know, I just went to the ATM, and I took out a wad of cash because at that time, you know, we didn't have the PayPal and all that. You were just paying to the taxi drivers, the change. And so I had a wad of cash to pay taxi drivers when I get to New York. I said, God, you know, man, I just took out major money from the ATM, you know, for all that. Dave, I know you're wondering whether this is my voice or not. Uh, but Dave, you just need to learn how to give everything away. I heard that really specifically. As soon as I knew he said that, I knew he was talking about an area I struggled with, which was like generosity. He comes across the door, back to the back door, and he opens it, and I pull out my wallet. I took the change. It was a wad of cash. And I said, man, hey, God told me I was supposed to give you this. I wasn't very happy. It was... A, 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 <laughs> It was very reluctantly. You know, the Bible says God loves a you know, happy giver. I'm a, I was a reluctant giver. So I, God told me to give you this, man. And then he ran away from me like I had some type of disease. He ran, to, he ran fast to the other side of the car. And he looked back at me and said, Sir, I, I can't take your money. For you have given me something better than money. I can tell you this happens to me on regular occurrences. Doesn't matter if I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, Irvine, California, Bangkok, Thailand, Singapore, Japan, whether I'm a train, a bus, a plane, a limo, it doesn't matter. It could be the Trader Joe clerk, it could be someone else, but as you start walking the earth looking for the one, it doesn't have to be everybody. You don't have to feel compulsion or like that type of urgency that I gotta share with everybody. No, Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. He stepped over people to heal one. But when God asks you to talk to the one, be free. Bless them, see them, know them, affirm, give to them. Flow with the father. Love them. And then many people will come running to know Jesus. Come on, 99. This is your calling. Not only to have a vision for the one, it's to be the one who loves like Jesus loved. Father, thank you so much for this moment that we have to think about once again how we're to engage the world. And uh, we pray right now that you'd awaken us to the power that's in us. Right where you're seated, I want you just to, to recognize this and declare this fact. Say, Holy Spirit, you are alive in me. Reveal yourself to me. Wash away my doubts. Wash away the curses that I've heard in my heart 
or I heard from others. Take away my lethargy, my complacency. Take away that attitude that been there, done that. Help me to see that every day I'm being made new now. So awaken me, O oh Lord. Awaken me to the beauty of people, to the beauty of your planet, to the beauty of your love. Take away my sorrow. Take my pain and turn it into power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.